Hello and welcome to the Mountain State Liberty Cast, brought to you by the Libertarian Party of West Virginia. This is our third episode. Today, I am joined by Libertarian Party of West Virginia Chair Taylor Richmond. And today, we're going to go over some of the happenings from this past uh, two weeks of the legislative session here in West Virginia. Um, how are you doing tonight, Taylor? I'm good, Ty. Good to be back with you, buddy. Looking forward to our discussion tonight. Awesome. So I, I wanted to start with an interview I heard with Senate President Craig Blair. He's been president, I think, two terms or yeah, two sessions now. Um, there's a lot of issues that libertarians might have with Craig Blair. He's I mean, I don't know if he would be considered a rhino. I think he's just a Republican in name only. That's an acronym that people give Republicans these days when they don't do what they like. Um, but he's just basically an establishment Republican, I think. And he's been right with everything we talked about basically in the last two podcasts about, you know, growing the economy through centralized planning, their economic development plans, stuff like that. But he gave some pretty interesting insights. He, his basic premise was keep the momentum going. That's what the first thing he said. Um, infrastructure, education, and the drug, drug epidemic is what he said the three main things they want to focus on this session. And if, if you just go from there, you know, I think you and I would both say, yeah, great. That's awesome. Let's do those things. But, but then he kind of goes on to talk about how he wants to do that. Um, got to keep young people here. And, uh, I would agree. Um, I think you and I are both relatively young. You're younger than I am, but it is, you know, that whole, um, colloquialism that struggle to stay in West Virginia. I think we both can feel that. And, uh, so the way he says he wants to do that, Basically, control spending and revenues will grow. That's what he said. And, and basically, I'm, I don't know about you, Taylor, but I like to think I'm pretty good at reading between the lines when people talk and kind of, even if they're not trying to be sly, you can kind of, what they mean by that. And basically what it means is control spending, so revenues will grow, means you got to keep that budget right where it is so that you maintain that tax base and and grow grow your surplus like they have. He goes on to say that, you know, he he wanted his goal was eight million a year for surplus. And that's about what they've hit. Um, and it's one of those things that if you're an establishment Republican or somebody that thinks government should be large. Sure. I mean, keep keep government where it is. Don't grow it. And that's good enough. And then keep the tax revenue. <laughs> and we talked about that last time that. The tax cuts they did to are, are based around their surplus revenue. And I, I don't know if that's sustainable considering we're in a you know mass inflation, nothing but government spending. A, a lot of the growth we've seen in our economy is all, you know, it's just a paper tiger. It's not real. A lot of it is, I think I heard, um, you know, uh, National Libertarian Dave Smith today. He basically was talking about how, you know, Nancy Pelosi came out and said that, you know, you can't bake the pie and and serve it. <laughs> and so now we've got to serve the pie after we baked it. And basically it's like, okay, well, I mean, if people can't see and feel directly in their lives, things getting better, maybe the pie isn't good. Maybe you need to rethink what you're doing. <laughs> the, the, the chef needs to be fired and we need new chefs. And I think that's what we're seeing here is it, it, you can't sell, even if you say it's it's long-term. And that's what he said. We're, we're not going to see this immediately. This is a long-term plan. I think it's kind of a cop out where they've had a decade over a decade to bake this pie. And this is what we got. And I don't yep. know many West Virginians that think it's a very tasty pie. Well, you know, I think part of the thing, Ty, is the fact that 
you know, that controlled uh, controlling the budget is, as you said, and the and the governor said, and a lot of the rhinos or uh, Republicans have said that that's a flat budget. And now we're coming out. I think Metro News had an article earlier this week talking about how, you know, the projected revenue from taxes and and um, things that they're expecting over the next what six years. I think twenty twenty nine was the number, so five years um, is going to be decreased by two point five percent. So what was their reaction? What was the reaction of the Republican supermajority and and uh, Mr. Blair and, and the Senate and folks was not to say, well, maybe we need to cut the government across the board or maybe specific ones, but this is a cost of the board by two and a half percent. So that kind of balances out. And I know that's not exact math, right? But let's talk in broad terms. They don't talk about that. What they say is, well, because we're now looking at a, a negative 2.5 and our percent in our revenue or, or loss of our revenue from where we are, we can't trigger some of those tax cuts that we promise everybody. So, you know, you mentioned paper tiger. I think that the whole uh, uh, illusion or promise uh, of tax cuts that they, they gave us over the past year or so is just that's like, oh, well, you know, we'll promise you all this and then we'll behind the scenes, we'll put in all these things knowing ahead of time, because this is not the first time they've had multi-year projections of revenue, knowing ahead of time that some of these things weren't likely going to happen. So they can come back and get back to their regular flat budget instead of actually taking a, a hard look at our state government, what we do and the services they don't provide and saying, okay, well, based on our projections, we need to cut government to match that that's how you would run a business. Ty. You've mentioned last uh, podcast that you've started and run multiple businesses or been a part of multiple businesses. If you're going to lose, if you have a projection of uh, less profit, what do you do? You either ramp up profit or you cut costs. Well, thank goodness, at least Republicans are conservative enough that they're not going to, they're at least not now, we're not talking about raising their uh, income or their revenue by taxation, but they somehow, for some reason, still aren't going to cut their spending. So here we have this now almost void promise. It'll probably be voided here in the, in the next 50 some days, whenever the session's over of this income tax cuts that they, they gave us last year because the projections are um, their flat budget uh, aren't gonna work out like they uh, told us they would. So here we are, another another paper tiger, another house of cards, another uh, unfulfilled promise by the, the rhinos, uh, as you said earlier we've got down in Charleston. Yeah, definitely. And and another thing he said that kind of reading between the line things, um, I'm trying to find where he, I actually wrote it down and quoted him. Um, yeah. Okay. So he says we, he was kind of referring to the state as a, as a household. And he said, we have to manage our, but we have to manage our budget and invest in ourselves and the people. So I don't know if you hear those, those click terms, you know, you ring a bell, you know, ourselves and the people, what is he talking about? He's talking about the state. And that's something I always, you know, hark on as a libertarian is the state, when they say us in the state of West Virginia, they don't mean you, they don't mean me. They mean the state government, the state government is his own entity that exists and they think it's necessary for it to exist to help the people. We want to give the money back to things that help the people, but it's through the state that they want to do this. So when, when they talk about, um, keeping this budget and all these things, you have to, you have to remember that they are not thinking about the people 
when they're talking about that, they're talking about what the state is going to do and its budget. They, your budget, forget about your budget. And we, you know, we're talking about how a business runs. I mean, I'm sure everybody's familiar with, with Dave Ramsey, but the idea of getting out of debt, I mean, you spend all your excess money on what he calls the debt snowball, but does he tell you, what does he tell you? That rainy day fund, keep, keep an emergency fund, keep, keep an emergency fund for things that if you do have that emergency while you're getting out of this, this problem, you have a little bit of backup. Well, they've got a rainy day fund plus a surplus. And they're talking about, they're not trying to get out of this debt. The debt being the excess spending that they have, this flat budget. If they said, hey, we've got this rainy day fund, but also we've got a little bit on top so that we can start cutting spending. And if something happens, like he said, like we're talking about severance taxes, coal prices drop, they lose revenue, stuff like that. They have that little bit of cushion to go back on while they're cutting the budget, but they aren't even mentioning cutting the budget. They are just fine with keeping the budget the way it is and bragging about that. And I do think that that is a positive thing, not to not just be negative Nancy all over the board. I remember the ag secretary I mentioned to him, he'd been in two terms now. He said, my budget is the same as it was in 2000 and I think 12 or something. And I'm like, that's fantastic. Good job, buddy. Like, I think that's great. And basically by him doing that, he's cutting his budget because inflation means he's, he has the same amount of stuff or the same amount of money and is doing less because he would have to. That's fantastic. But they're not doing that broadly across the state. The inflation is going up. So their, their budget is flat, but they're not spending the same amount of money they were when they came in. It's increasing with inflation, just like everybody else's budget. So, yeah, and th- that was just broad generalizations. He didn't give any specific numbers, really, except for the uh, some of the you know eight million per year. And then he went into <laughs> and this this I had to laugh out loud when he said this, but we talked about last podcast with all the money they spend in form energy and all these this money they're giving to these companies and giving you know LG this fifty four million dollar loan to come here but it's a forgivable loan basically meaning they're going jumping through hoops and and pretending like they're not giving them money but it's a forgivable loan whatever that means basically they're giving them 54 million dollars he comes in and says well the corrections i think the estimate is 1.8 million they need they're asking for and he has the gall to say that we're not just going to throw money at the problem he says we're going to go in and we're going to see you know what are these tier systems for the the corrections employees when they're just trying to get to the next tier to make more money, they don't have any way to make more money in the position they are. So we've got to make sure that we're correcting the things before we're just throwing money at the problems. I'm like, you have the gall to sit here and tell me that you're going to tell correction, the corrections department, 1.8 million when you just gave a green energy company $300 million without any oversight, without any research, vague research that they threw out that we now know is mostly bunk. It was just, it's hilarious to me that they don't see the irony and hypocrisy of the things they say. Well, and and some of these deals, Ty, I mean, it just feel like we're sending these, we're not obviously, but West Virginians are are sending these folks down to to Charleston and they're making these deals. And I feel like they're doing it with as much reckless abandon as you and I accepting the the Apple terms and agreements. I mean, I feel like they're just clicking the boxes and saying, oh, great, we got an an upgrade, you know, or it's our our, new new software on our phone. Like, oh, great, you know, LG's coming in, here's whatever they wanted. and, And there's no, like you said, no oversight or check. 
that's what I would ask West Virginians to do is, you know, when they see their legislature, when they see their their senator is, is asking for the fine print on these details, you know, ask if they know the, the, the details themselves of these deals that they're voting on, because what they're what they're likely doing is saying, oh, here's this large name company, LG, you know, wildly <laughs> world known uh, fortune, you know, what, 10 or whatever company. And they're like, oh, we can bring them to West Virginia. You know, put the blinders on and and hand me the pen. I'll gladly sign. But at the same time, it's investments and it's 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 taxpayer dollars or or lost revenue that we wouldn't give to other companies because it's it's sweetheart deals and they can clap each other on the back and say job well done. And then when these things don't pan out, which we talked about last time, rarely have they. Then who's on who's on the hook? You and I are on the hook again. And there's there's no accountability because they were investing in us, investing in West Virginia with these deals. And it's like, oh well, we've we've got to try. But no, you know, what you can do is you can get rid of the red tape. You can get rid of the, the, the tax burden that you put on businesses and, and make us more competitive as a state and not hand out sweetheart deals. But they do it every time, and we 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 think we hear their praises getting sung all over the state when this stuff is announced, and we rarely see it come to fruition. And you know, it's it's just, it's just getting tired, and I, 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 you know, frustrating as a as a taxpayer to see uh, other states doing better by a lot of the principles that we're talking about: lower taxes, less regulation. You know, there's a number of them we can point to, and we're not following suit. We're following the old mantra and and playbook of. Well, you know, let's keep taxes where they are, and then we'll hand out these deals to certain companies because, as Republicans, they think they know better than the Democrats did in, in central planning. They're just a different color jersey uh, making the same mistakes. Yes. Um, another thing he talked about in, you know, his three point plan basically was the education portion. If anybody had any hopes or was looking forward to this session, maybe doing a little bit more for, uh, school choice. I know in case people don't know, two years ago, the legislature passed um, what they called the Hope Scholarship, which was $4,000 for families who either homeschooled, sent their kid to a charter school or a private school. They could get basically reimbursed for up to $4,000 worth of, of cost for those things. The problem is only people that had their kids enrolled in yeah. public school already and it, it was there, there were hoops you have to and and i'm i'm a pragmatist when it comes to the process that's what they had to do to get it passed because there were so many people saying that they they weren't going to sign off on a blanket every single person that wanted to do this would get in it now it it's basically them throwing a bone to their um constituents in the student unions and the the teachers unions and and some of these our state has a ton of public employees and a lot of them are teachers, but it basically made it so, so they said, well, we limited it. Well, the mm -hmm. amount of kids that are homeschooled and go to private school in West Virginia isn't a huge portion anyway that, that never had their kids in public school. So it was kind of pointless, but it, they're not going to do anything like about that. They're not going to change it. They're not going to change anything. And I know this because Blair said, basically they've done all they need to do for school choice. That's what he said. And he oh, said, wow. now we need to focus on the public side, which I've been screaming that from the mountaintops as well is they're not going to get rid of the property tax. I'm going to have to be paying for this. And we homeschool. We don't qualify for the hope scholarship because our kids never attended public school. They they've gone to a couple private schools for short term, but mostly have been homeschooled. So we don't get any of that money, which honestly 
I don't really want it. I mean, I'm one of those people that I don't want to I leave no doubt when it comes to your principles is that taking that money is you're basically saying, yes, the government's doing a good thing. But also, even though I've seen no language that says that it would affect um, the already current homeschool regulations, I could see it very, them very easily trying to put more strings on homeschoolers and private schools if they accept this money. I could see that happening. So that's another thing people need to be aware of. But he didn't really go into much detail. I mean, he sounded like he was going to be depending on his members of the Senate that have experience in education. I know that the education um, committee chair now is um, Amy Grady. She's from mm-hmm. the Mason County area, and she is a teacher or a former teacher. I'm not really sure if she still teaches, but I've heard her speak, and I don't necessarily think that she has bad ideas. One of the things I heard, I've heard her speak on is curriculum, that if the state is not going to get rid of its policy of picking curriculum, they need to be doing so in a more responsible manner is a lot of the times they go to these conventions and they get sold these pretty books that have like nice pictures and diagrams, but no substance. And so they want to start picking curriculum that is time tested, is proven and has stuff that, which I love it. That's great. I, I'd like to hear that kind of thing that if they are going to do be doing that, they need to be being more responsible about it. But Blair didn't say anything about that. But he did say that we need to get rowdy kids out of the classroom. Um, <laughs> that's one thing he harped on is we've got to get the, these disruptive kids out of the classroom. And and I agree, but like, I don't know, you and I both went to school in West Virginia. There's always been, mm-hmm. you know, kids that, and, and, and just to make it not funny is there's a lot of kids in West Virginia that have terrible home lives and that's why they're mm-hmm. acting the way they are in school. And I don't know, you can say that they, they, they have plans for, trying to fix that. But it's one thing that we harp on as, as West, as uh, libertarians in the state is, I don't know if everybody agrees with me. That's a libertarian, but I, I see this. We don't really, we don't really have a drug problem. We have an economic problem. We have an education problem and we have a cultural problem. Uh-huh. So many States don't have the drug, drug epidemics that we do. Why did these um, Oxycontin manufacturers flood West Virginia with these pills? Cause they knew we wanted them. And why did we want them? Cause there's people in pain and there's people that are miserable and they're, they send their kids to public school. So what are you going to do? You're going to put them in a, and he mentioned putting them in special classes with cameras and getting them the right people to teach. It's super vague stuff. And we'll see, I'm sure there'll be legislation on it. We can go over that in the future if the details come out, but he was super vague about education, but one thing that he did say that I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with um, in, in regard to, he mentioned the, the kids in poverty and people that um, are on government assistance or entitlements, as they call it. He said, the best form of welfare is a good job and upward mobility. That basically uh-huh. ties into what I just said. I absolutely agree with him. That is the best form of welfare that this state can provide is economy and jobs and upward mobility and a future. Happy people do not abuse heroin. People that have a future and have a job to go to aren't doing opioids. They're not smoking meth or whatever you do with meth. I guess you smoke it. Um, <laughs> you think I would know? I live in rural West Virginia. But I don't. So um, it, it it behooves us to praise them when they say good things. But it, the problem is, it's almost we almost always agree with Republicans on the problems. They just don't seem to understand that their solutions are nothing new. 
you're well, not going to get it, jobs. We, we and we we've talked in nauseam about the economic development, how they think they're bringing jobs, but when that doesn't work and they have their long term strategy, it's just that the drug epidemic and all of these behavioral problems are just going to keep getting worse as their plans fail. Well, and, and Ty, you know, we we agree with them and what the problems are, and the Republicans, I mean, the the issue is. Uh, and I would even say to a vast majority, we agree with the solutions. The problem is they don't deliver. They don't follow through on those things. And that's where, you know, I'm a recovering Republican myself. I know I think you've said you were a Democrat previously, but I'm a recovering Republican. I Did you say Democrat? Well, I didn't say that, but if you identify <laughs> as that, that's uh, that's up to you. That's what I heard, right? We, libertarians love all kinds, um, but you know that was my one of my big things with with leaving the Republican Party was I kept hearing the same solutions over and over again. It's like they either they they know and they can't commit, or I don't I don't know where the disassociation is between what comes out of their mouth and 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 what happens when they pull the levers in the legislature or, or Congress or wherever they are. And so it's very frustrating. And and I think, you know, going back to your point earlier about the the problem or the problem scholarship, the hope uh, scholarship is it's one of those like red meat things. I feel like they've just given us just enough, you know, to say, oh, well, we have school choice. Well, now we have school choice. So you say I think it was actually forty five hundred dollars. I could be wrong. You might be right there. But for some reason, that's that number is sticking in my head. If you look around the state and I think per capita in West Virginia, the the amount spent per child per year was something like twelve thousand uh, dollars in the public school system. And I know that it's differs, up to obviously. fourteen in West Virginia. Is it up to fourteen now? Good gravy. Fourteen thousand, yeah. About no, four thousand of it makes it to the classroom. <laughs> right. Of course. Yeah. So um and, and I know obviously that's a it's an average. Yeah, I'm in Mon County, probably one of the higher percentages. You know, you're in uh, Roan County, probably maybe maybe one of the lowers, but still you're taking 45 only $4,500 and that's the big thing is you hear um you know uh, teachers unions and and pro public education folks say well they're they're stealing money from our schools here's what we're doing with at the levels right now $4,500 of that average of that 14 you still have what $9,500 left and one less student to uh, deal with or, or teach or, or pay attention to or however you want to phrase it, right? So we're, you're still, you have $9,500 for an empty seat. So you can spread that out now to the other students. So now, you know, you do some um, some math there. And that's what's absolutely wild is it's not even close still. Like it's not even on par with the amount that is being spent on, on average. Or if you maybe did the math and, and made it work per county, if you want to level it out, you know, make the HOPE scholarship uh, appropriate per county. And that's the frustrating thing again for for libertarians is as, as you mentioned your kids can't get in so they may they, they're not even opening the, the the gate for the students who um were previously in. so if you were started public or you didn't start in public school you're kind of stuck now you don't get the money but you're still paying the property tax so you're paying for the private education which you choose obviously to do but you're also still stuck with a tax burden so it's very frustrating, I think, as as a taxpayer, and I myself don't have kids right now, but I'm still paying property tax to go into my local school system. Um, so it it just becomes you're getting beat over the head with with costs because you you choose not to you know, put your your kids in public schools, and then you hear these Republicans say things like, "Oh, we're support 
choice and liberty and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes down to it, no, you really don't. You don't uh, actually practice what you preach. And that's where we get frustrated. Um, so, and then the, the curriculum thing, I think, is is a, is important. Um, and I know there's a bill talking about uh, intelligent design and, and everything else. And we got to talk about the transfer rule last week. And it's like, these are the things they're 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 spending so much time in that's getting bandwidth on the major news networks is oh well they're debating whether or not teachers can teach intelligent design or not and and what that means and semantics and it's like we, we still have one of the worst results in terms of outcomes you know our when you when you test our students and I'm not necessarily a big proponent of of testing but uh, it does at least allow you to across the country see how we compare and we're still always at the bottom we have one of the highest per capita costs uh for education in in the public schools and we're we're tying up our time and down in charleston of our 60 days talking about where you play sports or not and uh, you know can someone you know question the the uh, science teacher on you know Darwinism versus creationism or flying spaghetti monster was what they keep saying out uh, loud, and it's like man, you just you're just missing. It's just going right over your head. Can we get to the crux of the matter in that folks want to leave public schools? We, they're now getting some more options, um, and if the Hope Scholarship was maybe a little bit more and a little more on par, they could have uh, the charter school uh, options could be expanded and and grown. But we're, we're never going to get there and see the uh, that come to fruition. And finally, you talked about the um, the rowdiness and, and all that. Uh, again, no libertarian solution uh, is going to get you to perfection. Um, and I think that's obviously what we get hit with a lot. But there's a great book on school choice by Thomas Sowell. And, you know, one of the things he talks about is specifically this issue, which is that in, in the same building, and they took at charter schools in, in New York City, and some of them had to meet in the same building that public schools were in because of some of the crap corruption that the public, or the teachers unions were pulling up there. But anyways, the level of um, student behavior was just night and day so much better with the charter schools kids. And it's not like they, you know, had corporal punishment or anything along those lines. It's just they just have their act together. They know how to do this and they, they don't have a lot of the you know, tenure and, and things along those lines that teachers, you know, don't care and allow these things to grow out of hand. They don't have regulations limiting how you can punish students in terms of, um, you know, we, we've, we hear things like, well, we can't use red ink anymore because it hurts children's feelings and stuff. And it's like, when you go down that slippery slope and you're going to get these outcomes. And, and charter schools and private schools don't, and they have better outcomes. They don't have the disruption. They don't have as much unruliness and, and behavioral issues. And and they don't want to talk about the outcomes. They just want to say, they want to scream at you and say, well, they're, you hate teachers and you you want to take money away from uh, from the, the inner cities and the, and the the rural kids who don't have that option yet. And say, no, we, we want to give them a choice. Uh, and it, and you're all down there with the, the levers to do it and not not delivering on it. Yeah, and we can maybe later on do a whole episode on education and some of our thoughts about what they should be doing. And I think people would be surprised in just how pragmatic a lot of libertarians are is there is a constitutional mandate in this the federal and state constitutions to provide a free education. 
And I just think that there's most libertarians agree there's there's better ways to to provide that. And even public schools, there's so many different ways that they can go about um, improving that without all the cronyism that goes on. So the third thing you talked about, you know, his his whole three point plan of infrastructure, education and drug drug epidemic. We didn't really talk much about the infrastructure, but um, the drug drug epidemic, um, they're just going to start killing people, evidently. Uh, So he, he suggested that. And it was in the, it's been in the news, but they want to reinstate capital punishment for people who distribute and sell fentanyl. Um, now, West Virginia does not currently have capital punishment. Um, death penalty, sixty years we've had. Want to phrase it? Yeah, sixty years. For sixty years. And I don't know about you, Taylor, but the more I read about uh, the death penalty, the less I support it. Um, <laughs> And, and it's not even necessarily everybody hears these horror stories about, you know, people who abuse children and, you know, a lot of libertarians, you know, they share those means, you know, the wood chipper go burr when you know, talks about <laughs> the know, pedophiles, pedophiles. Yeah. and, you know, I, I'm a Christian. So, and, and it's something I struggle with, but luckily I've never had to deal with that personally in any, any form or fashion, but I could imagine how much <laughs> that would destroy a family and destroy a child and, you know, murder, heinous murder, things like that. And, and you, the, the idea of people selling fentanyl is killing people. And I, I'm, I'm wholeheartedly with you. My wife is a mother baby nurse at women's and children's in Charleston. And she sees it every single day, how much this is hurting people and not just fentanyl, but all of it. So I'm right there with the compassion and the, and the understanding of how bad the problem is. Um, but the idea of this being the solution, I mean, libertarians harp on the drug war and it's one, that's something I've never had any question about is when you look at the history of the drug war, it is drugs won. If, it, if it's a war, <laughs> drugs won the drug war. They absolutely won. And we need to stop. And, and I'm not necessarily one of the, you know, legalize it all immediately kind of people, but the enforcement and the laws and, and just basically them not enforcing normal laws, like it, what are they doing? My thing is, is, how is this coming in here? Who are these people doing this? And it goes back to what I said before. People, ha- happy, healthy, adjusted people aren't doing drugs that have fentanyl in them to begin with. And putting, this is your solution, the death penalty for people who distribute and sell fentanyl. And and when we talk about the death penalty, the reason I stated before, when you look at the, the um, wrongful convictions, that's not going to stop with fentanyl. I mean, you can say, oh, well, we found fentanyl on somebody. Well, all it takes is one corrupt police officer or a police officer that's had enough and he's convinced somebody's selling fentanyl-laced drugs or whatever, and they, they come fabricate evidence, blah, blah, blah. You know, we've heard these stories a hundred thousand times and they're not fake stories. These are things that happen, not often, but they happen. And then you've got somebody getting the death penalty. And Craig Blair actually said, and this is this kind of stuff drives me crazy. He said, "Now, do I think anybody's actually going to get put to death because of this? No, but maybe yep. it'll keep these people out of our state." So th- this isn't something you pass if you if he doesn't want people being executed for selling fentanyl, he shouldn't be passing a bill that says you get executed for uh, selling fentanyl. Well, and, and here's the issue with that tie, right? And and you uh, kind of touched on it about the it's a slippery slope, and and you know I'm a I'm a big. Uh, symbolic logic and an argument uh, guy and and i know that's a 
a logical fallacy, right? But I think we we see it happen, play it out enough that you have to be worried about it. And, and I was going to just quote that exact same thing that I heard him say to uh, Hoppy Kerchival. Oh, I don't think anyone's actually going to be, you know, get to that far. I don't I don't necessarily think it's going to be a police officer. Here's what I see the situation happening. We get this on the books. Hypothetically, this passes. And the, the theory is, and it's so, you know, uh, asinine. It's like going back to prohibition and saying, oh, we know the problem with the Volstead Act was we didn't uh, go after Al Capone with the death penalty for for shipping whiskey. Like that, that wouldn't have stopped these guys because this is the, the idea behind what he's pushing is not, you know, the guy, the kid down the street who, you know, has a, a couple pounds of, of marijuana and he, he doesn't realize it's laced and, and he's pushing it or he, maybe he doesn't know it's laced. I don't know. They're not going after that guy. He's trying to go after these quote unquote kingpins, these, you know, folks from Detroit or, or wherever it's getting, coming through. And he wants to go after those guys. We're not going to catch these folks with this law like this is this having the death penalty on the books is not going to increase the likelihood of us getting those individuals uh, or in, in incentivizing it whatsoever so what's going to happen roll forward a couple years we still have an opioid problem because our the solution from the republicans is, is more harder enforcement and more surveillance and and you know cracking down the broken window theory etc etc cetera, et cetera. so well we still have the problem and we've have the death penalty on the books well you know what we need to do we need to lower the standards maybe not just kingpins that you know move x you know amount of drugs or, or whatever we need to take it down to the next step and then again the same thing happens a couple of years we can take it down to the next step so eventually you're going to have these politicians who they know that it's such a a pivotal issue that it's such a it plays on the heartstrings of every west virginians we all know somebody we've lost to to opioid to fentanyl and we just, they just play on this, the heartstrings of this issue to eventually we get it down to the, the kid who has you know, a couple pounds of marijuana that are laced and you just see an overzealous DA catches this kid and, and he was like, oh, well, you know, he sold it to a dozen of his buddies and it was laced and, you know, seven or eight of them died. So we're going to get the death penalty for this kid so we can really send a message. That's the issue with legislation like this is where it actually ends up, not where it starts here, because it's hyperbolic and it's never, as even he said, it's not really going to get the people that he's wanting to go after. It's going to end up getting little, you know, 17, 18, well, let's say 18 or 19 year old Johnny down the street who sells a, a couple joints to his buddies that are laced. And to really send the message, you get an overzealous DA who has, you know, high hopes for attorney general. And he wants to be that guy that really cracks down on opioids. Then the poor kid who made a mistake, who sold his buddies laced marijuana, is now on death row. That's where this ends up. Not getting the kingpins from Detroit, but getting Johnny down the street who made a mistake because he was selling marijuana that ended up being laced. So that's what I I caution uh, you know our listeners and, and the Republican voters and all the folks out there who you know think this might be a good idea is this is where this stuff ends up and we we you know we can have again have, we got a lot of episodes to make we got a whole episode on on the war on drugs and not just that one any any war the government rages or wages uh, results in a in a loss for the government and the people and. A victory for whoever they're they're going against but again go back to prohibition we, if we don't learn anything from history we're bound to be this is what we're doing right now with with drugs and, and insert drug here you crack down on on cocaine and marijuana 
what what do you get? You get meth and heroin and harder stuff. You crack down on those things. What do you get? You get now these um, uh, synthetic drugs that are like even worse and, um, and and more deadly. And that's what happened with prohibition and alcohol. They cracked down on alcohol. So what happened? We had you know bathogym and all this stuff that was killing people faster than regular alcoholism and and your regular you know old number seven was. It always ends up more government, more problems, more death, and and add the death penalty in and just increase that. And it's not going to result in what they're promising you now. It's going to be far worse with, uh, with more close to home uh, situations uh, once it's actually played out. Definitely. So now that we've gone over that interview with Craig Blair, let's go into a few things that the Republican-led legislature is actually doing well. I'm going to cover a couple of things. I'm going to go on to more broader um, pop culture stuff and maybe get get a little. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't drink alcohol enough. I was going to try to make an alcohol reference, but I don't. Let's get a little topper. I don't. Whatever. Let's let's mix in. <laughs> let's mix in a little good that they're there you doing go. with the bad, so we can hit a little a little hump of good and then go back to a level plane of, of Republicans are terrible. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say these um, House joint resolution numbers so that people, if they, if they, if it tickles your fancy, call your legislators and say you support them, but house joint resolution 14. Um, basically what it does is it gives the people the initiative um, for initiative referendum and recall is what they, they stated. Uh, basically it states that the people through, I, I guess it would be signatures or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. They can recall public officials right now. The legislature has to do that through an impeachment process, I guess. And so that would give the people the power to do that. And and what I heard was incredibly vague. So I don't know the details of it. You can look that, that House Joint Resolution 14 up on the state's website. And uh, But the thing for, that interests West Virginians, libertarians in West Virginia might be the referendum portion Basically, that means is there's some issue that the people think is important and the legislature just refuses to act on it. The people can get the signatures together and they can petition the government to put it on the ballot so that the people can vote on it. And the thing here, I mean, and just preface and everybody has to do this, you know, West Virginia, our libertarians are just a bunch of pothead Republicans. Well, I've never (laughs) smoked weed in my life and I don't intend to, but legalizing recreational marijuana, that would be a way that that could happen. Um, If the people of West Virginia get enough signatures together, they could um, petition the government to put legalizing recreational marijuana on the ballot. So that might be, I I think that sounds good. I think that's great. I think giving the, the more local, the ability for government to function, the better. And if you're giving the people the chance to scare the heck out of their um, legislators, their, their employees in government, uh, the better. Yeah. So I, I just want to shout out, uh, delegate, uh, Horston and delegate, uh, comp for, uh, putting this out there. And, and I agree, you know, I, I generally quote the, uh, the old Winston Churchill line, you know, the greatest argument against democracy is a five minute conversation with the average voter, but when you get enough of them uh, together and, and at least put something on the ballot, uh, generally you, you get con- consensus or you can hear from the people that's not getting portrayed by the, the legislature. And yeah, I think uh, legalized marijuana is probably the most obvious one that would happen. But I think there's another uh, or there's other similar 
freedom, liberty-minded uh, pieces of legislation that would come up that, for whatever reason, the the social conservatives um, in, in Charleston have been blocking for a while. I think one of the biggest ones, although we, we got a little, we got some movement, and I would, I'll say significant movement on, was the campus carry. Um, I think that was something that, uh, and the constitutional carry, I think those, if we had that 10 years ago, if we had the referendum, um, opportunity years ago. I think that was something that you would have seen the, the population or the populace, the citizenry of West Virginia put up well before um, Mr. Trump, who kept blocking it in, in judiciary, uh, allowed to move forward. So I think there are a number of things that we probably would be surprised that West Virginians who, uh, you know, based on our state motto, uh, our, our subtitle for our podcast, are very liberty minded when it, when you actually get down to it. And I think, uh, they had this opportunity we'd see a lot more liberty-minded pieces of legislation coming before uh the the scissoring to vote on definitely um so the other house joint resolution i wanted to mention was number 15 and what that would do is basically any of the secretaries under the executive branch the the secretary of state auditor ag secretary and treasurer they would Right currently, they have no term. They have no limits of how many terms they can be in office. They can run, you know, just forever. And we've seen in West Virginia a history of a lot of these secretaries being in office for twenty, thirty years. And this this House resolution would limit those offices to three terms. That would start in twenty twenty five. And it's kind of a controversial thing. I know not everybody's for term limits, but basically the idea would be. I don't know if everybody's for term limits, Ty. Yeah, and that's <laughs> what I mean. Not not everybody is, but I, I think a lot of people are, and I think the the basic consensus is amongst those people is you don't make career politicians, and and, and that that's basically the they don't they don't get lobbied as hard and they they kind of have more freedom to do what they actually want to do cuz they they're not looking for their next term to to run for and i don't know how true that is i think the other side the main thing pragmatically is it takes a while to learn a job and when you have people that are three terms is a long time i think most of those offices are 3 years a piece i think is that true sounds right yeah yeah so if I mean, nine years, I mean, you should be able, you should be pretty good at your job by then, I would think, but I don't know. <laughs> um, they're not good after 20 years, so who knows? But I think <laughs> here recently, we've actually kind of seen it play out differently is I know this year you have, I think three, maybe four, four of those secretaries that hold those offices now are running for um, higher office in mm -hmm. Senate or, or House um, or Congress, U.S. Congress. So you, you, these people, most of these people have only been in office one term and they're, they're running for some other office. So that's a problem in the other direction of just using it as a, a lily pad to hop to the next bigger lily pad. So I don't know. What do you think, Taylor? Well, so uh, again, maybe I'm pragmatic in this. Um, I, I definitely don't like career politicians, especially in the current situation, either at the, the local or the, the national level. So I don't want to get painted as someone who is supportive of that. I don't think term limits is where we need to start, though. And, and here's why. Um, I look at folks like uh, my one of our heroes in libertarian spheres, uh, Ron Paul, uh, right now, Thomas Massey, even Rand Paul. You know, they are very lone voices for a lot of very sensible 
uh, principles, uh, very libertarian um, principles. And if you had a term limit on them, the problem with that is right now we have these political machines and the Republican and the Democrats that would easily replace them, you know, once their term limit is up. Right. So you give, uh, say, Congress uh, three terms, uh, Senate two terms, whatever you do. And as soon as you get these great liberty minded or let's just say one day, hopefully very soon, we get a libertarian in one of these offices. They're then handcuffed to. Uh, X number of years or X number of terms, and then they're out. That just gives the machines the opportunity to come back in and replace them, right? And, and we know that with the Republicans and Democrats, it's the, the heads of Hydra. So as soon as you lop one off, another one spurs right up, and they are saying the same thing, and they almost look identical and all those things. There are other things. There are other reforms we can do to uh, limit the uh, success of incumbents. Perfect example. Let's look at the uh, the West Virginia Senate race, uh, uh, Jim Justice versus uh, Mooney. Listen to local radio. What do you hear now that you really didn't hear before six months ago? You're hearing ads from U.S. Congressman Mooney about what his office can do for you and what he's fighting for in the U.S. Congress. And he's using that out of his office funds, funds that taxpayers provide for him to run his office and provide constituent services and he's effectively using them as campaign commercials because he's getting his name out there for free when all he's doing is saying hey i'm a congressman i'm fighting for you so i think we can crack down on things along those lines um, instead of just limiting the the good people who are fighting the good fight that are in these offices whether it's state um, secretaries or our local house legislature and things along those lines and make it easy, make it a more competitive marketplace, if you will, for these elections and not actually handcuff the few good individuals who get through. Because if they're doing a great job and people risk, you know, like what they're doing and, and want to vote them on to another term and another term and another term, that's fine. I, I think they should have that ability um, given the corrupt system that we have, um, let them stay in. But on the flip side, I think we need to make it more competitive so people who want to actually challenge them have an opportunity and they aren't handcuffed by some of these, uh, and I'll just call them corrupt practices, like utilizing their office um, for campaign purposes. So I, I get kind of on the other side of the fence here. And I know some of these folks are like testing this out against the secretaries before they do anything else. But it's it's funny um, uh, now that they have a supermajority and they know they're probably not going to lose really any election in the state that they, they say this. They sure as heck weren't going to say that, you know, 12 years ago when they were fighting, scrapping to get those seats uh, to get that supermajority. So it's kind of ironic. Um, I'm generally on the other side. I'm all for election reform, I'm all for campaign reform. I think there are just better ways to do it than um, term limits to to keep out the, the few good folks that we have in these various offices that are actually fighting for liberty. Yeah, so uh, House Joint Resolution 14 and 15, uh, I think we've covered our, given you our opinion on them. So if you like them, call your legislators. Uh, it's in the House right now. They, both of these are in the Judiciary Committee. Um, in, in case people don't know the process, they, they have a ton of these things that come through. The The chance of them getting through is pretty slim, typically. I mean, these things both put 
limits on government power. So it's probably not going to happen. Um, <laughs> we saw that during the pandemic. They did absolutely nothing to limit the power of the government. They did some vague, vague cuts to Jim Justice's power of, or Jim Justice. He's our forever governor. Um, the governor, <laughs> the executive's uh, ability to act during a, an emergency, but they don't do things to limit government. So don't, don't hold your breath, but definitely call. I mean, I would, the more people they get, uh, the squeaky wheel gets the grease and the more people call in the better. So do that. But on the idea of what you're talking about, Taylor, you kind of put something back in my mind. This isn't the legislature, but the, the Republican West Virginia Republican, uh, party, the WVGOP, they are getting ready and it's probably going to happen to change the way their primaries work in that you won't be allowed to vote in the Republican primary if you are an independent or unaffiliated, which currently now you can. You When you go to vote in a primary, if you're an independent or a unaffiliated voter, you can go in and say, I want a Democrat ballot, I want a Republican ballot, and you go and vote based on that, and they're trying to get rid of that because this is the irony of it is they're saying – this is how we're getting all these rhinos. These people are turning from Democrat to Republican and getting all these people to register as independents and coming in and voting for these rhino Republicans. And so basically we're getting infiltrated by the Democrats. Well, the irony is, and from our perspective, yeah, that's the problem is that there's no way to get in <laughs> office unless you join one of these parties. And in West Virginia, it's very quickly becoming, if you aren't a Republican, you will not get into office. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to use your rules against you to get into office, to be able to legislate what they see fit. And the only thing that you're, I guess if you are a Republican and you want truly conservative, I'm doing finger quotes, legislative representatives or whatever office that's in that has a primary you want that to be a pure litmus test when you're voting republican that i'm getting a conservative well do your research i mean again it, it's repeatedly it's it's on the people and they don't do their research and they go and vote for republican or vote for the name that they know or the one that had the best advertising dollars and got the the mailers out and got the radio ads so it, it's incumbent on the people Again, call your representatives, but also do your research on the candidates. Ask them questions. Come up with a list of questions that are truly important for you. And if they don't give you the right answers, don't vote for them. End of story. So, so Ty, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the uh, the I'm the true libertarian here uh, position on this one. Uh, so I don't I don't have an issue with a party saying only your parties can vote in your primaries, and here's why. Only libertarians can vote to nominate libertarian candidates. But here's the very important difference. We don't use taxpayer dollars for nominating our candidates. We hold a convention on our own dime to name our candidates. But the Republicans and the Democrats use taxpayer dollars to hold their primaries and, and select their, their candidates. So. Here's where I'm going to contradict myself a little bit. If you're using every West Virginia citizen's taxpayer dollars to run your select, help select your position, then you should give every West Virginia who shows up the opportunity to come in and take part of it. And I think that it should even mean us libertarians because you're using our taxpayer dollars. But it sure as hell should mean the independents and the not registered if they don't have candidate, you know, they don't have a party candidate uh, process to, to select for. So if, if you Boom. want to do that, then here's what here's what should happen. 
as soon as they close their primary, the zero tax dollars should go to selecting their their candidates. They should have every county and statewide elections should be held at individual county and statewide conventions like we do. And that's how they should do it. I'm fine with that. Keep it closed, but don't force the independents and the not registered individuals to pay for it. Until then, keep it open. Let other people infiltrate, interlope, however you want to call it. But you're using their dollars to keep your machine running. By by all means, let them have a say in it, whether they want to fully commit to your your party and put on your jersey or not. They want to put one on and keep things closed. Come put a, a gold one on. We'd love to have you. Uh, we've we've got our gubernatorial candidate already named, a wonderful lady by the name of Erica Kolinich. We uh, announced and held a special convention to do that uh, earlier last year. But at our uh, state convention coming up on the 16th of March, uh, we'll be uh, taking and entertaining nominations for all other offices across the state, again, on our own dime, because we don't like robbing you uh, to make our party run. We do it uh, out of our own pocket. Yeah, so there, there's a ton of stuff that we could go over, but we're getting close to an hour. I wanted to cover one bill that's kind of near and dear to my heart. That uh, You mentioned Charles Horst from the Eastern Panhandle earlier with one of those House resolutions. But he's had a bill he's put on the floor, I think, two times now. But um, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the term open fields doctrine. A little um, bit, but uh, our listeners might be. So educate them and me at the same time, Ty. Yeah. So basically the way it sits now is, and there's been a ton of uh, legal work on it. And a lot of states have kind of figured this out already, but basically what it says is your private property, you have an expectation of privacy on your private property. Fourth amendment says they need any law enforcement official needs a, a warrant to a warrant that, you know, has specifics in it about what they're looking for and what, where they can look. Well, open field doctrine basically says that any gravel lot, any field, any, you know, forested area that's, that's open, that, um, you don't have an expectation of privacy from law enforcement. So it's been a problem. I don't know if anybody who's a hunter and fisher or somebody has a lot of private property. Basically a lot of people have said, you know, if the gates open, they're allowed to come in. If they see four-wheeler tracks, they're allowed to come in. Well, if if that was the case for any, you know, a warrant, it would be like, oh, well, you know, the door was looked unlocked or the house porch light was on. So we, we kicked the door in and went in. No, that's not how it works. But the way it stands right now, it is if they come onto your property and find that you've killed a deer illegally or find something they don't like, basically what it says is they can come onto your property. Open Fields Doctrine says that. And there's, there's a lot of specifics. Charles, Charles Horst, if you are interested, his Facebook page, he has a open post that he posted on his Charles Horst for delegate 95th district. He goes over, he basically posts a history of all of the Supreme court hearings on this subject. And it's, it's pretty thorough, but the, basically the crux of it is, is do you think that the government should have more of a right to violate your private property rights than the average individual in West Virginia Currently, if somebody flies a drone over your property, they're breaking state law. Well, why does that not apply to a DNR officer? And I'm not saying that I'm not saying we promote poaching or people should be able to allowed to do illegal hunting carte blanche or be able to fish without a license carte blanche. But it does mean they shouldn't be able to come on your property and harass you without, you know, reasonable expectation or they see, you know, guts going into your field or whatever, or they have a warrant. Sure. They should have to follow the same rules as any state police, any sheriff, anybody that is enforcing the law. The fourth amendment should be 
universal. So that, that law and you can get, he, he said the bill hasn't been fully crafted. They had some issues with it last year in, I don't know, legal review or however they do that. They have people that review these things. And I guess some of it was contradictory to the constitution. So they, they rewrote that and they haven't gotten it completely drafted yet in the volunteer legis not volunteer part-time legislature in West Virginia. <laughs> they Definitely not volunteer. Yeah. They, they don't, I think Erica mentioned it last podcast, but they don't actually start crafting legislation until the session starts. So um, a lot of these bills don't even get written until, well, we know that they probably are already written by lobbyists months in advance, but that's a different subject. But a lot of these things are reviewed until the actual legislation, legislation, legis, legislative session starts. So um, look forward to that. But it, that that's a big thing. And I think that's huge. Anything enhancing the rights of West Virginians without that, that, that should be a no brainer for libertarians in my opinion. But I just wanted to give uh, Charles Horst a shout out on that one. And, and again, you got to call your representatives. This isn't a thing you, the go to just Google West Virginia legislature and there's pop downs for your senators and your house reps and emails and phone numbers. And you need to call them and, and bother them about these things if you think it's important. So and, and, and tie you out on that, I just want to say, I definitely I think it's true for, for libertarians. I think it's a no-brainer for us, but I think it really should be for, for Republicans too. And I think there was just uh, some recent news breaking on um, you know, the, the Bank of America, and basically they were turning over all this, and they're going to put in, and I'll put in air quotes, metadata and, and all this stuff for, regarding the January 6th and, and everything else. And they were, you know, anyone who purchased a gun ever but that was coming to D.C. around that date and all this kind of crazy stuff, right? And and this goes back to the, the Patriot Act and all the alarm bells that libertarians were raising then. And Republicans would, would say, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, what does it matter? This is exactly why it matters. When you give the government an inch, they take a mile. And the problem is the teams change every four to eight years. And it's you're on the other side of that. It's So going back to this open fields doctrine and, and getting this passed in West Virginia is the government should have to jump through just about every hoop possible to prove their case to violate you or your privacy. Um, and, and I think this definitely goes into that. And I, and I hope that the Republicans who are, are frustrated with what they're seeing regarding to how January 6th is being prosecuted, to how Trump is being prosecuted and, and gone after by the FBI and all of these things. I mean, here you had one of the, I know he's now out of the race, but Vivek Ramaswamy was, um, you know, one of the uh, front runner, not frontrunners, finalists, if you will, in the Republican primaries, you know, talking about abolishing the FBI. I think you're seeing this growing momentum to really call into question the police state. Um, Dinesh D'Souza and uh, a couple of those guys had a movie out going after that and what's happening there. And, and this is what libertarians speak so harshly and, and, and caution Republicans on when they, when they grow the intelligence state, when they grow the police state, is because eventually it will get turned back onto you. So we need legislation like this. We need uh, delegates like this who are, are pushing bills locally to make West Virginia as free as possible, to make our own personal liberties as protected as possible, to make sure that if nowhere else in West Virginia, that they have to, the police have to jump through all the hoops to violate our privacy. Because if not, if we open the gate figuratively or literally, they will do it and abuse that right every chance they get. We're, we're seeing it now, and, and hopefully uh, our Republican, our liberty-minded Republican friends are, are seeing the light as well, and, and we'll get behind this and, and, and similar legislation here in, in West Virginia. Absolutely. 
Um, so the, the last thing I wanted to mention that we mentioned last podcast and we will until it passes is defend the guard. Our friend Pat McGeehan from the Northern Panhandle, West Virginia, he actually created this legislation and it, it's embarrassing, but other states have actually gotten way closer. I think maybe one or two states have actually voted on it. I don't remember now, but it basically what it says, I don't think we explained it last time. Super simple. It says any National Guard or Reserve. I don't think Reserve. Uh, any National Guard. Any gu- yeah, Guard. The State National Guard will not be deployed to any foreign or even, I guess, even stateside conflicts that are run by the federal government until there is a declaration of war from Congress as the Constitution states. And we haven't had one of those since World War II. So you can see where we're going with this. There's so many, me included, um, Operation Iraqi Freedom, the which that that's the one I was deployed to. And I, I can tell you from my experience, the National Guard has no business being over there if they're not going to train them like regular army. It's just absurd. And then it leaves our state vulnerable. And the National Guard is supposed to, is intended to be a, national guard for the state so uh, it seems pretty cut and dried but there is a lot of money that the state gets from the federal government and a lot of that money will likely go away if this passes so if you care about veterans if you care about national guard members if you have a family member that's in the national guard and you don't want them being deployed to these senseless forever wars you need to contact your representatives specifically speaker hanshaw and again, his number, I'll, I'll try to post his number in the description of this podcast, but he needs to be told that he needs to bring it out of committee and put it on the floor. It's It's been in, in the House, I think six or seven years now from Pat mm-hmm. McGeehan, and, and he's been threatened. He's lost committee um, committee seats because he spoke out against other bills because of this as a protest. And he shouldn't have to fight that battle alone. So you need to contact your legislators, contact um, Speaker Hanshaw and let them know that you want this to come out of the committee and, and make it to the House floor, at least so they can vote on it and people can show whether where their allegiances lie. So there's nothing more libertarian, in case you're wondering, than uh, getting out of these forever wars and not subjecting our young men and women who, who volunteer to give their lives for you and I um, unjustly, they don't deserve that sacrifice, and we need to let them know that we want them to stay home until they start following the Constitution. So, that being said, Taylor, um, is there anything else that you wanted to mention about this the last couple of weeks of the legislature before we sign off? No, I'll just uh, echo the the fact, Ty, that you know, especially there are national guard men and women. These are are, are guys and gals who you know they they sign up to. You know, help in floods and 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 rescue us from local disasters and and do all these great things uh, to be local heroes. Um, and they end up in some foreign country fighting in a war that uh, the United States doesn't belong in, let alone them. So I'll just echo your comments there. And um, no, I think we 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 hit a lot of the highlights. Um, luckily, uh, Mother Nature has been uh, quite a libertarian uh, this past couple of weeks, and and brought in some snow and and kept some of the legislatures out of the uh, out of the Capitol, slowed down some of the the work that they're doing. But yeah, we 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 just hope that some of these uh, liberty minded uh, folks down there, uh, this Freedom Caucus that they they've joined, can really rein in some of the spending uh, forget flat budgets let's get to a, a shrinking budget let's get uh some of the government out of our our lives um so 
yeah, looking forward to our, our next chat. We'll we'll go into a couple other topics that have been uh, discussed down there, but this has been great. It's, it's definitely been an interesting start to the legislative session. And uh, yeah, we've got better answers than what they're providing us. That's for sure. That is for sure. Uh, yes. Yeah, so if you want to get a hold of us, you can get on the state uh, Libertarian Party of West Virginia's website. It's lpwv.org. All of our details are there. I haven't mentioned it before, but if you would like to donate to the party, um, not to this podcast, but to the party itself, there's a donation tab there. Become a member of the party. Um, there's not a lot of perks to it other than being somebody that's saying you don't uh, accept the duopoly and you want to join a party that has the answers. So get on our website. If you want to donate, go ahead and do that and join the party. But until next time, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook for our state pages. Until next time, don't hurt people and don't take their stuff.